from KQED. You're listening to Queued Up, Storytelling with Heart. I'm John Sepulveda. In California, therapy has become a hobby of the wealthy rather than a necessity for the mentally ill. Depression, anxiety, and other mental health conditions affect 43 million Americans. But what's startling is that more than half of them never get help. We're going to join KQED's April Domboski. She's traveling across California to find out what's going wrong. Have you ever looked for a therapist before? It's not easy. Please leave a message. Please leave a message. Please leave a message. Forget about finding the perfect fit. Most therapists don't have time to see you at all. Sorry about that. Unfortunately. I unfortunately don't have any openings. A lot of people just give up. It's hard when you're feeling sad. Like, if you feel like you can barely keep things together. It just seemed like way too much at the time. Round one. The gross month trolley. It was March 2014 when Maria Spivey was driving this route down El Cajon Boulevard. About mid-morning, her cell phone rang, and it kept ringing and ringing. This is something her 17-year-old daughter Chloe would do, make these repeated calls when she wanted to talk. But Maria couldn't pick up. And I'm dead center, 42nd in El Cajon Boulevard, and there's no way I could stop and answer the phone. And so I just keep going. I was like, when I get to the end of the line, I'll uh, take a break, I'll call Chloe. When she got to the terminal, the calls became more insistent. Now it was her partner, Charles. He's like, well, you need to get home. I was like, you know, I don't like surprises. And he's like, no, just get home, please. Get home now. She rushed back to the house. Cop cars were parked in every direction outside. Her family was out on the lawn. And Charles opens my door and he's telling me, Chloe's gone. I'm like, Chloe's gone? Like, where did she go? Oh, he's like, no, she's gone. Chloe had killed herself. Her older sister found her in the garage. And I think I almost fell to my knees, but I didn't want to lose complete control. My kids were watching me. First, Maria blamed herself for Chloe's suicide, but then she blamed Kaiser. Kaiser Permanente is Maria's health insurance. She gets it through work. She says the HMO failed to take care of her daughter from the beginning, when Chloe first started having trouble in middle school. That's when she was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. But Kaiser staff told them Chloe couldn't get weekly individual therapy. They basically told her Kaiser doesn't do individual therapy. There's no one-on-one, not not with Kaiser, no. Chloe had attempted suicide once before, when she was 16. It was a very confusing episode where Chloe took a knife from the kitchen. She held it to her neck, and she locked herself in her room with it. Chloe went to a residential treatment program after that, and Kaiser paid for it. But when she came home, Kaiser still didn't offer her one-on-one therapy. They put her into a group for teens with drug abuse problems. They didn't discuss on depression, anxiety, uh, if she was suicidal, didn't do anything like that. Chloe told me more often than not, Mom, this is not what I need. Mental health advocates will tell you, when insurance companies hold out like this, you need to file a complaint with the state. But they also tell you that few people ever actually do this. Maria didn't. She didn't have the energy. She didn't know how. I didn't have time to waste. 
so I didn't have time to waste on Kaiser and what they weren't doing for Chloe. I was trying to save Chloe and find people that would help me with Chloe. Cases like this had been piling up at Kaiser for years. Several suicides were blamed on the company. And state regulators investigated and found Kaiser was systematically shuttling patients into group therapy or forcing them to wait up to six weeks for individual appointments. In 2013, the state fined Kaiser $4 million for these violations. In 2015, the Union of Mental Health Clinicians at Kaiser went on strike. They said the delays persisted and that Kaiser was still understaffing its psychiatric department. I asked Kaiser to talk about these problems, but the company didn't want to do an interview. Instead, Kaiser sent me a statement about all the changes it's made. It hired hundreds of therapists last year, and it's actively recruiting more. The statement said Kaiser is now in a position to lead in mental health care. So what about other insurance companies? Why don't we hear about therapists from Anthem or Blue Shield going on strike? Well, Kaiser therapists all work for one company, but other insurers have thousands of individual contracts with self-employed therapists. There's no way to count how many calls a patient makes before they find one, or how many people simply give up. People like Natalie Dunnage, she's a single mom in San Francisco. I meet her and her son Straz at a playground near Golden Gate Park. Straz is 12 at the time. He hangs from the monkey bar, staring at the ground. The other kids in the park aren't interested in him, and he's not interested in them. I just like to play by myself. Straz has autism. His mom says today is a good day. But on most others, Straz has meltdowns. Something frustrates him, and he can't control his emotions. I sometimes end up screaming, and uh, I end up yelling and screaming. And like hitting and banging things, throwing things. Straz's mom, Natalie, says she bears the brunt of these meltdowns. He told me that I disgusted him, um, tells me he hates me. Natalie puts all her spare money into therapy for Straz. She says it helps a lot, but Natalie herself is struggling, feeling depressed and overwhelmed. She says she needs her own therapist. One of the things that I really had to wrap my head around is that I can't change him. I can only change how I handle the situation. And not that I would want to, to change who he is. He's a really good kid, but it's a lot to handle, especially as a single parent. Natalie had Anthem Blue Cross at the time, but when she went to look for a therapist, she realized her copay for a mental health visit was gonna be upwards of $75. She paid half as much for other medical visits. There's, there's no way. It's just, it's out of my, my budget right now. Natalie shares a one-bedroom apartment with her son and her dad. Grandfather and grandson sleep in twin beds side by side. It's kind of an awkward walk past those beds to the only bathroom. Natalie says on her salary, $75 a week for therapy is impossible. My income, I'm like just made lower middle income just by the skin of my teeth. So I just kind of have to hold off until I'm actually middle class. Recent health laws were supposed to stop insurers from overcharging for mental health services. But earlier this year, state regulators found that 24 out of 25 insurance companies, including Natalie's, were still doing it. I asked Anthem to talk about this, but they sent me a statement instead. 
It said the company is working with regulators to comply with the law. Since last summer, Natalie got a promotion at work. She moved into a larger apartment in a nicer neighborhood of San Francisco. And her health benefits got an upgrade too. She has Blue Shield now, and her copay for mental health appointments is only $20. Which I was really excited about. But this time, when she looked for a therapist who took her insurance, she struck out again. I contacted like six or seven. Three called her back. One of them, they were completely booked. And then the other two just didn't accept the insurance anymore. Zero hits out of seven. I figured it had to be a bad draw, right? No. I did my own survey. I called all the psychologists that came up on the Blue Shield website for Natalie's plan in San Francisco. There were a hundred. Please leave a message. Please leave a message. Please leave a message. Almost a quarter of them never called me back. Don't get a call back from me. That means my practice is full. Nearly half said they weren't taking insurance anymore or weren't accepting new patients. Sorry, I'm not. I'm so sorry. Unfortunately. I unfortunately don't have any openings at the moment. So that left just a quarter of the therapists on the list who actually had appointments. And of those, exactly eight had slots after work hours. At the moment, I only have daytime appointments available. Eight out of 100. Wishing you the best. Sorry, and good luck with that. Good luck with that. Okay, good luck. Bye-bye. For Natalie Dunnage, after seven rejections, she just gave up looking. It's hard when you're feeling sad and you're, like, in this very, like, you feel like you can barely keep things together. It just seemed, like, way too much at the time. Mental health advocates say this is actually a strategy for insurance companies. It's a way to control cost. That's Stanford psychiatry professor Keith Humphreys. He's the guy who advised Congress when it was developing the laws that were meant to fix this. But while insurers are now required to keep a solid number of clinicians in their directories, he says they've still been finding ways to sidestep the rules. You know, the law doesn't say well, you can't put people on there who are dead, or you can't, you, you can't put people on there who are not taking new patients. And so what that translates into then is people have to wait longer for care, which then cuts expenditures for the insurer and reduces access. When I called Blue Shield to talk about this in an interview, just like Kaiser and Anthem, they turned me down. In an email, they said the responsibility goes both ways. It's up to the therapist to keep them updated about changes in their schedule. The company also said there's a larger problem here a nationwide shortage of mental health clinicians. Charles Bakke is head of the insurance trade group, the California Association of Health Plans. He says the Affordable Care Act has made the shortage worse because so many more people signed up for insurance. We have somewhere around 4 to 5 million more people with coverage just in the last two years, and that's creating a strain for everybody, plans and mental health providers. So he's saying there just aren't enough therapists out there to meet the demand. But this doesn't make sense. Especially in urban areas like San Francisco, there are lots of therapists. They just don't want to work with the insurance companies. In fact, surveys show that nearly half the therapists in California do not take insurance. Half. I decided to talk to one of these therapists to find out why. Michael Klein has been a psychologist in San Francisco for more than 20 years. He considers it his spiritual calling to help people calm their anxiety and to help couples stop fighting and build trust. With the right kind of support, they blossom. Klein has never taken insurance. He says there are two reasons why. 
One, because the reimbursement rates don't provide a living wage in the Bay Area. Most insurance companies pay therapists between $60 and $80 per session. In the Bay Area and Los Angeles, the market rate for therapy is more like $150 or $200 a session. The second thing is the paperwork. For an hour of psychotherapy, you spend a half hour of paperwork. So, I mean, I got into this field because I don't like paperwork. <laughs> so I wanted to check back with the insurance industry on this. I talked to Charles Bakke again, the guy who said there's a shortage of therapists. I asked him what gives here. He said insurance companies may have to raise their rates in some areas to attract more therapists. But he also said it's on therapists to compromise. I think it's unrealistic to expect either the state of California's taxpayers or for health plans to just pay providers whatever they ask to be paid. He says providers have to choose. They can either serve wealthy people who can pay market rates or be part of the health care system. Our job is to find providers that are willing to be part of the solution, are willing to provide coverage to those of low and moderate income, and are willing to be part of our health plans. Well, I found one of these therapists, one who wants to take insurance. And what he told me is a shocking story of rejection. San Francisco psychologist Jonathan Horowitz sent applications to 10 insurance companies and basically got nowhere. I might knock on Cigna's door and say, hey, are you guys accepting any new therapists in 94105? And they might say, no, we're not doing that. We're totally full. Six companies told Horowitz their networks were full. So even though a patient might call 10 therapists on the list and be told there are no appointments, insurance companies are telling new and willing therapists that there's no demand for them. I definitely think it's to control cost. I mean, that's very clear. After a year, one company finally said yes, sort of. Horowitz never got a formal notice saying his clinic was admitted to the network. It was just like, oh, wait, it looks like we're suddenly getting a couple referrals from them. I wonder if we're in their directory. They were, sort of. The clinic was listed, but the therapists who work in the clinic weren't. Hmm. Oh, here's a number. So Horowitz tried to call the insurance company to clear things up. He tried many, many times. Hello. This call I sat with him during the latest purpose. attempt. First, I'll need your provider identification number. If you need a moment, say, hold on. Hold on. Also... Sound familiar? Huh. Turns out therapists get the automated runaround as much as patients do. Okay. Please say or enter your PIN. My PIN? Is this my PIN? They go back and forth on that one a few times. I'm sorry. I couldn't find an account using the information you gave me. Do you already belong to the network? Uh, I think so. Sorry. Yes or no? Um, I don't know. Hmm. Yes? All right. And have you already requested a credentialing application? Yes. Sorry, could you repeat that? You get the idea. So I honestly got a really bad feeling about it. Horowitz figured if this is what it's like just finding out if he's in the network, how's it going to be when he has a problem with a claim and can't get paid? I could just see that getting out of hand really quickly. So at that point, we just said, do we really even want to do this? Not just that. The reimbursement rate was even lower than he expected. And the billing was so complicated, he was going to have to hire someone to do it. He says he couldn't afford that. And we just made the decision that we're just going to cancel the contract and just continue to go with cash. Easier said than done. Horowitz hasn't been able to get through to anyone to cancel the contract. So how exactly did we get here? 
How did we end up with a mental health system where you basically have to pay cash out of your own pocket if you want to see a therapist? We don't seem to have this problem in cardiology or oncology. That's Keith Humphreys again, the Stanford psychiatry professor. You don't see people lining up to pay cash for those services because the benefits are so low. And you don't see cancer centers saying, we don't accept Blue Cross, you know, we don't take insurance here. Humphreys gives me a little history lesson. He says this trend of mental health clinicians decamping to the cash market started 70 years ago. You know, the age of mental health in the United States starts right after the war. The Second World War. In 1946, the majority of veterans who were being cared for by the VA had mental health problems. And there were anywhere near enough mental health providers to take care of that population. So the VA partnered with several medical schools, including Stanford, where Humphreys teaches, to train a new corps of psychologists. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds a year. At the same time, Humphrey says affluence in America was soaring. Interest in individualism and self-exploration was also soaring. It starts to become, you know, sort of a status symbol to have a psychoanalyst. A lot of those psychologists who were trained to work in the public sector saw a better financial opportunity in private practice, where they could charge wealthy people much higher rates. This phenomenon is unique to the U.S. In a nationalized health economy, that wouldn't be possible because there'd be a central tap, you know, of, of money controlled by the government. That's just not the way we've done it. Instead, people historically got their insurance through work. Employers set the benefits, so coverage was fragmented and inconsistent. Mental health was often left out, and the cash market sprang up in its place. If it's a market where pretty much you have to pay for yourself, the rich are always going to win. In affluent places like Silicon Valley or L.A., this creates a culture of mental health haves and have-nots. Enough people have the money to pay for therapy out of pocket, so therapists don't need to take insurance to keep their schedules full. And that makes it harder and harder for people of lower income to find help. Yeah, you know, maybe they're suicidal or, or maybe they're, you know, horribly addicted to Oxycontin or their child is showing signs of bipolar disorder and they cannot get somebody to take their insurance. It's unjust. Again, recent health laws were supposed to change this. Experts thought all the new consumers who got coverage under Obamacare would put pressure on more therapists to sign on with insurance companies. It hasn't happened. The pay gap is just too big. And Humphrey says given the nature of therapy, there will always be demand from people willing to pay cash. Accessing mental health care is often pleasurable and enjoyable, and accessing lots of other uh, health care isn't. It's like, you know, who goes to the dentist for fun? You know, nobody. Okay, so far I've been talking about the troubled state of mental health care in California's urban centers. But the picture is even worse when you move outside the big cities into more rural parts of the state. In a lot of these areas, the shortage of mental health clinicians is real. Fewer therapists are willing to live in small towns, especially if they have hefty student loans to pay back. And the insurance companies don't seem to be making things any easier, especially for one 18-year-old woman in Redding, California. That's about two hours below the Oregon border. The day I met Shariah Roman Nagy, she was packing for a family trip to Disneyland. She laid her curling iron into a hot pink suitcase on the floor of her bedroom. There are porcelain dolls and stuffed animals tucked into every corner of the room. 
And she's got posters and quotes from Marilyn Monroe all over the walls. And then that one, those are the lyrics to a song called Smile. They hang in a frame over her bed. My mom made me that when I was struggling because that's the song that I would listen to. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even She sings it to herself when she feels her depression creeping in. If you smile through your tears and sorrow, smile and maybe tomorrow you'll see. Three years ago, it was in this room where Shariah through. tried to kill herself. She was a freshman in high school. Everything piled up and piled up and piled up until I just couldn't handle it anymore. So I had my antidepressants and I took a handful of those. But then I thought better of it and I told my mom and she took me to the emergency room. There's no adolescent psychiatric hospital in Reading. So Shariah was taken from the local ER to a hospital in Sacramento, an hour and a half to the south. I was in one of their little cars with the little cage in the back. I kind of felt like a prisoner almost, but... (laughs) She was in the hospital for eight days, and the doctors diagnosed her with bipolar disorder. They said they wanted to keep her longer, but they told her the insurance company probably wouldn't cover it. I didn't really feel like I was ready because I had just been put on new medications right when I got there. And I was like, in the past, I've had reactions to medications. Anthem Blue Cross said the family never formally requested an extension, so there was nothing for them to deny. But insurers do deny certain treatments, and in some cases, they're allowed to do this. If they determine a treatment isn't medically necessary, they don't have to pay for it. This is a key battleground for mental health advocates. Psychiatrist Keith Humphrey says it's a lot harder to prove what's medically necessary for a mental health condition because the symptoms are so subjective. Because there's not blood tests in mental health. There's not x-rays in mental health. So it's easier to deny care for mental health than it is for things where you've got you know, physical evidence, so to speak. After Shariah went home, the hospital helped her find a therapist. But the insurance company said no. They told Shariah the therapist wasn't part of their network. We spent quite a long time with the insurance company battling them, trying to get them to cover visits with her. For Shariah, this was history repeating itself. She was hospitalized once before, and after she was released, Anthem wanted her to see a therapist on its list of approved in-network providers. At the time, that list was six people. You remember Natalie Dunnage in San Francisco. Her list had more than 100 names on it. For Shariah in Reading, six. Six total on the list or six that were available? No, there were only like six total on the list. And when she called them, most said they were either full or retired. So there weren't very many options to begin with, and then they just got smaller and smaller. So this time, Shariah decided to just stick with her out-of-network therapist. Because at that point, I mean, you're talking, you know, possible life and death issues, and so... That's Shariah's dad, Tom Nagy. That was my approach, to pay for it, you know, run up the charge cards and things like that. He ended up paying thousands of dollars out of pocket. Nagy is a teacher. His wife is a nurse. They couldn't afford to keep doing that. He had to fight with the insurance company for nearly a year until he was finally reimbursed. As a parent... It's hard enough to deal with these situations. You're trying to be supportive, but then if, then you get the whole financial thing. It just adds adds a whole other layer, and it's, it's real frustrating. It's the easiest fight in the world to win for an insurer. Psychiatrist Keith Humphreys says it's rare to see someone keep up a fight with the insurance company as long as Nagy did. Most people would have given up long before. Take someone with depression who has trouble concentrating. And now you're demanding that, you know, I fill out eight pages of forms. It's canted heavily against the people wanting the services by the nature of the condition. Anthem Blue Cross didn't want to talk about this on tape. 
they sent me a statement emphasizing that the company did eventually approve all the mental health services the family requested for Shariah. They said people who may be having trouble finding a therapist should call Anthem's customer service line for help. Dad! Shariah is looking for her keys. We're taking your car, man. She and her parents are getting ready for that family trip to Disneyland. They call it the happiest place on earth, and I really do feel that. It really makes me happy when I go. Um, So I'm glad we get to go this week because I have been having a little bit of depression kind of going on. They run some errands before they leave town, including a stop for snacks at Walmart. I have a question. Yes. You used to have Mickey Mouse shaped cheese. Do you not carry it anymore? We couldn't find it. Okay. Overall, Shariah is doing much better. Put on some music. She's studying psychology and music at the local junior college. She'd like to be an adolescent therapist one day. But first, she'd like to be a character singer at Disneyland. Tell me more. Will you show me something's familiar about these strangers like me? I met Shariah back in the spring. That's when we first aired her story and the other stories in this special on the California Report Morning Show. Shariah's doing well now. She joined a new a cappella group, and she's about to start up regular therapy again. She found someone who takes her insurance. Natalie Dunnich is doing better, too. The day her story first aired, a representative from Blue Shield called her and asked how he could help. Her son is now getting enrolled in behavioral therapy, and Natalie finally found her own therapist, both covered by insurance. But Maria Spivey is still struggling after losing Chloe. She's part of a class action lawsuit right now, trying to force Kaiser to provide one-on-one therapy to all the patients who need it as soon as they need it. Maria says she hopes the suit will help prevent another family from having to plan a funeral. been listening to Cued Up. I'm John Sepulveda. Sorry, the therapist can't see you. Not now, not anytime. First ran last fall on the California Report. Our journalist is April Domboski. Our editors are Victoria Malion and Ingrid Becker. Audio production was done by Seal Muller. You can let us know what you think of Cued Up. If you like what you hear, like us on iTunes and listen to past stories by subscribing to Cued Up wherever you get your podcasts.